Amen. Praise the Lord. What a great time of worship we've already had. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 4. In just a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to start our new fall uh, semester of discipleship, and Barry Cornegie and I are going to team teach the New Testament survey, and I was preparing for that this week, and uh, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this actually was the first part of the New Testament ever penned down. It's the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the church at Thessalonica. We know it is 1 Thessalonians, but there are many Bible scholars who believe this is the earliest New Testament book. The epistles were written before the Gospels. And so uh, the, many people believe this was one of the first uh, parts of the New Testament that was pinned down. And we're in chapter 4 today, so when you find 1 Thessalonians 4, would you stand please as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word? And this is... The word of the living God. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever." Therefore, encourage each other with these words. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, in the travels of the Apostle Paul, he came across a number of things that were wrong in the early church. In fact, if you read the book of First and Second Corinthians, you see that was probably the most troubled church in the New Testament. Uh, Paul was preaching the pure, unadulterated gospel. And he did not like for his doctrine to be clouded. And it came, became apparent to him that people had told the believers in Thessalonica that if their loved ones died before the Lord's return, that they would not be with the Lord. And so Paul takes that as the Holy Spirit inspires him and begins to instruct them in exactly what God said about uh, Jesus' return and what we now call the rapture of the church. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Dr. Tim LaHaye. Uh, he probably wrote my favorite commentary on the book of the Revelation. And uh, many years after he wrote that commentary, he and Jerry Jenkins sat down and began to put a story together about what would happen after the rapture of the church. And that story has now become a series of books called the Left Behind series. A uh, sad thing is, is I've had studied Dr. LaHaye's book, I knew everything that he had written, so I could have written those books if I just thought of it first. But unfortunately, I could have paid the debt off on the church, but I didn't think of that. And uh, I thought they were going to go on into the millennial reign because there was only seven years they could write about after the rapture, but then you have a thousand years in the millennial reign. And uh, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye made a lot of money, but here's what Tim LaHaye said. He said, my love for second coming teachings, particularly the rapture of the church, 
was sparked as I stood at my father's grave at the age of nine. Now that lets us know that it was a tragic event for Tim LaHaye, which made him love the teachings of the Lord's return. He lost his father, whom he loved dearly, at the age of nine. And so as he looked for comfort, he turned to the pages of God's word, for his father was a believer. He read there uh, exactly the words I've read to you this morning. And the word rapture does not appear in English in the Bible. If you look down at verse 17, and you see those two little words caught up, and really caught up together. When you translate that into Latin, it translates into the Latin word rapturo. And from that word, we get the word rapture. Now, let me remind you that the coming of the Lord will be in stages. Uh, the first time that he comes uh, toward earth, he will not come to earth. In the rapture, he does not touch the earth. Now, in, in Acts, it said that this same Jesus, which you've seen taken up, will come again in like manner. So there will come a day when Jesus will descend from heaven bodily in his resurrection body, and his feet will be put down on the Mount of Olives where he ascended from. Now, the rapture takes place previous to that. Uh, we know that he will return seven years after the rapture because the rapture commences seven years known as the Great Tribulation. We don't know the day nor the hour of the rapture. Once the rapture takes place, it's easy to predict when the second coming will be. It will be seven years later. But the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. A few weeks ago, we were at the Billy Graham Library, and Wayne Atchison, who's the director of the library, was giving us a tour, a personal tour, by the way. I want to tell you, if you missed that trip, uh, you missed a great thing because we didn't just get to see the library. We got to, they put us on a shuttle bus and carried us back uh, to the Billy Graham headquarters behind the library. It's kind of like going into the CIA uh, for God. You know, you go back there and you see all these files, and you see all these uh, tapes and videos that Billy Graham has made over the years. But uh, we got that great tour. And uh, Wayne said along that way that someone remarked to him that they don't believe the rapture will take place until Billy Graham dies. Now, that's not what the Bible says, all right? I want to be very clear about that. I'm not saying that uh, Billy Graham has to die for the rapture to take place, but some man told Wayne Atchison as he went through the Billy Graham library that he did not believe the rapture would come until Billy Graham passes away. By the way, Billy Graham has some wonderful plans. He will be 95 years old, not this November, but a year from November. Now, I like a guy who's 94 years, 93 years old now, and he's making plans for his 95th birthday. That's faith right there, you know. But uh, he does not want to celebrate his life. What he wants to do is to glorify God for what God has done in him and through his team members. And he wants to see more people come to Christ as we celebrate his 95th birthday than the total number of all those who've come to Christ during his campaigns, and he's got a, a big program. We're going to be part of that. We'll be praying for that. But uh, he still wants to reach America for Christ. That's still on his heart. He's weak in body, uh, but his mind and his spirit are strong. So uh, uh, whether or not he has to die for the rapture to take place, I wouldn't bet on that, all right? If you're here today and say, I'm okay, I'm not worried about the rapture, Billy Graham's still alive and kicking, uh, well, let me remind you, the Bible doesn't say that it has to be after Billy Graham dies. But, but Paul heard that people are being taught false doctrine. 
And so that's where we have the problem concerning the rapture. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now notice very up front, he's talking to people he's related to. He's talking about the relationship. He's talking about fellow believers. He's not talking about people who have died that didn't have faith in Jesus Christ. Now there's a sad, sad teaching going across America today and many people have bought into this teaching that if you believe in God and you do the best you can, that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Now, I want to tell you, that is not biblical, beloved. That was a good place for an amen. I want to tell you guys that. Uh, you start amen and I'll preach faster. We'll get out of here a lot quicker, all right? I'm just going to give you a little tip. But I, but I want to tell you that that bothers me because many people in America think, well, I'm an American. I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. I go to church every now and then. I believe Jesus was born, he died, he was buried, rose again. I believe all that. And because I give mental assent to that, I'm going to go to heaven. The Bible says that most people today are on a road that leads to destruction. You say, well, you're pessimistic. No, I'm honest with you. A lot of Americans are strutting their way into hell thinking they're going to heaven. I was asked a few weeks ago, back two or three months ago now, uh, Tony Cooper emailed me and said, I want you to come and preach to uh, Jimmy Hale Mission. I said, man, I love, that's where I, that's where I cut my teeth preaching. Uh, they were, sometimes they wouldn't let me preach in the mission. I wasn't good enough. I didn't qualify Donnie to preach in the mission. They made me preach out on the street corner. I had to get them coming in and going out, you know. They, uh, they were coming and going, but I had to hit them real quick. And we went down there and preached and gave out tracts. And so I started praying, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? Well, I believe the Lord's leading me to preach on hell because you don't hear much preaching on hell anymore. In fact, it's almost like preachers are afraid to mention hell. But I want to tell you, the tenderest lips that ever spoke a word were the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he warned people about hell. And if we're not warning people about hell, we're not doing what Jesus said to do. Most people in America think I'm a good person. I go to church. I pay my taxes. I don't abuse my wife. I'm not a criminal. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. To go to heaven when you die, you have to repent of your sins. You have to turn in faith and trust Jesus Christ. And you have to be a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word brothers here is not to be taken lightly. He's saying those of you who've had an experience like I've had... Those of you who've been redeemed, those of you who've been born again, those of you who know the Lord. So that's the relationship. And then the reason he's writing, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know the truth. By the way, do you know why we have Sunday school and why we have discipleship classes and why we preach out of the Bible? So you won't be ignorant. But you know, it's amazing to me that the more we offer, the less some people take advantage of it. You know, the more you learn the Bible, the better you're going to be. I'm going to baptize four people in just a few minutes at the start of the 1045 service. And years ago when I came out of seminary, I was taught by my seminary professors that when a little boy or a little girl asked Jesus to come in their heart, that the thing I was supposed to tell them was next Sunday when you're in church, you come down that aisle, you take me by the hand, and you tell me, that you trusted Jesus, and I'm going to put you in that pew. We're going to fill out a card, and I'm going to baptize you. That's what you need to do. And so I did that, and then one day I was praying about it, and God took me to the woodshed. 
And God said, do you think you need to tell children what to do when the Holy Spirit resides in them? Don't you think you need to tell them to listen to the Holy Spirit? Why do we have Sunday school to help you listen to the Holy Spirit? Why do we have discipleship to help you listen to the Holy Spirit? Why do I preach messages from God's Word? To let you know you need to listen to the Holy Spirit and you need to become a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we do these things. And I want to tell you, as much as we talk about it, unless you decide I want to do that, it's not going to change. You can remain ignorant. I, this past week, several people said, are you going to watch that program on Thursday night about the Bible quiz? And I'd not even heard about it. And then one night I saw a re rerun of Pierce Morgan's show, and I almost fell out of my chair because Pierce Morgan had Jeff Foxworthy on there. And he said to Jeff Foxworthy, he said, you and I are both Christians. Well, I almost fell out of my chair because I thought, Pierce Morgan is a Christian? He said he was. And then I got to thinking, not everybody that says they're a Christian really is a Christian. Now, only God knows who's a Christian or not. And so I started, and I didn't find the program the first time it came on, but I did find the rerun the next night. And I want you to know, I could have done pretty good. <laughs> well, I ought to have. I've been studying the Bible since I was 17 years old. I had... Four years of college, three years of seminary and master's degree level, three years of, if I, if I couldn't pass an elementary Bible test, I ought to quit. And I, you know, the thing about the game show, though, is if you get the questions right, you don't get any money, you give it to a charity. I like that. That's good. You know, I can see some old guy who's like, hey, I know all about the Bible. Give me the money. No, you don't get the money. You don't act like Jesus. You don't get the money. I think that's good. But we don't learn Bible facts so we can go on a game show and answer questions. Why? We learn Bible facts so we can live more like Jesus. If you're studying the Bible, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and leading you, and you're not becoming more like Jesus, you better find out who's speaking to you because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He looks inside of you and he says, uh-uh, that's not like Jesus. I, I was teaching the book of Proverbs the other night, and, and the Holy Spirit convicted me while I was doing the teaching. That's terrible. You know, I need to have an altar call. I need to get right with God right in the middle of that altar call because we're talking about adultery. I hadn't committed adultery, but I said, you know what Jesus said about adultery? He said, if you look at a woman to lust after you've already committed adultery in your heart, somebody said, ah, you preacher, you've been looking at women lustfully. No, and then I said, Jesus said, if you get angry with somebody, you've already murdered them. I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> I backslid, Lord. That guy pulled out in front of me on the interstate the other day. And Lord, I didn't say bless him, Lord. I wanted to blast him, Lord. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was glad. You know why I'm glad when that happened? Because that shows that God's still working on me. I'm still a work in progress. He's not. And guess what? You are too. You say, well, I never got mad at anybody on the interstate. Well, that's not your, that's not your shortcoming. I guarantee you right now, some God... God's talking, he's calling your telephone if you'll just answer it right now. You'll find out exactly where you're short. Why? Because God wants you to know. Paul said, don't be ignorant about this. And then notice this, he said, about those who fall asleep. Now this is not talking about people who go to sleep in church. You know, you say, people ever go to sleep on you in church? Oh yeah, they go to sleep on me all the time. It bothers me when they sit down near the front and go to sleep. I was preaching one day and a guy was asleep down here on the front row. And I tell you what I normally do is I start preaching loud when people go to sleep. I get loud. Somebody's trying to go to sleep in here. I'm going to wake them up. I got his loud. Don't turn me down. 
That's God, I'll come up there and lay hands on you. I get loud, and then I'll hit the pulpit. I did everything I could to wake this guy up. Finally, I was so frustrated. I said, lady, would you wake your husband up? She said, you come down here and wake him up. You put him to sleep. I solved that problem, though. I took a course called CPR. If I see you with your eyes closed and you're slumped over like this, I'm afraid you've had a heart attack. And you're going to find yourself on the floor with me pounding on your chest and breathing breath in your mouth. Nobody's gone to sleep since I took CPR. I, that's a cure for... No. That's silly. But the term for falling asleep is another term for death. That's, the Bible uses it several times. In Lazarus in John 11, Jesus said Lazarus is asleep. His disciples said, oh, if he's asleep, he's doing good. Jesus said, no, he's dead. I want you to know he's dead. I just said he was asleep, but he's really dead. And then G Stephen in Acts 7, when they stoned it, it says he fell asleep. He, he died. They killed him. They stoned him to death. Uh, in Jesus, it talks about him in the resurrection. Paul talked about him in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 as the first fruits, as those who have fallen asleep. In fact, we get an interesting word from that word uh, koimeo. A koimeo was a rest house for strangers, a sleeping place. We'd call it a Motel 6, all right? They leave the light on for you. You'd be tired and you go in there. It wasn't a fancy place, but you could go sleep when you were on the road. Well, the early Christians called the place where they buried their dead a koimeterion, a place of sleep and rest for the body. And we get our word cemetery from that Greek word koimeterion. Now, here's the point. When you die, your soul and your spirit do not die. When you were born, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, God gave you a soul and a spirit. You say, how do you know that? That's what the Bible teaches. You say, well, what about those folks like Mormons who teach that you exist in outer space somewhere? Just let them stay in outer space, all right? You weren't, you weren't some outer space person in, in, the, in the ancient world. When God brought your mom and daddy together and, and they put the sperm and the seed together and God blessed it and gave it life. You got a soul and a spirit right then. And you also were a body at that time and your body began to grow and your soul and spirit were housed in that body. And guess what? The soul and spirit are still housed in your body today. If you're here and you're alive, your soul and your spirit are still inside this house. This is a house. And like any other house, storms are going to come. The Bible says that storms are going to come, the winds are going to blow, and the rains are going to fall. This old house is going to fail one day. But when this old house fails, guess what? The part of me that God gave me, the soul and spirit, go somewhere immediately. If you're saved, that's the good thing. They go to be with Jesus. You say, how do you know that? What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? He said, today, 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 you'll be with me in paradise. Somebody said, well, he didn't go to heaven. He just went to paradise. Well, he went with Jesus wherever Jesus is good enough for me. Amen. No matter you call it paradise, heaven, Abraham's bosom, whatever you want to call it. Jesus is there. It's good enough for me. Well, some people started teaching these Thessalonians, well, you had loved ones that died before the Lord returned, and they just missed it. We're sorry they missed it. If they'd have been alive when Jesus returned, 
they'd, they'd have been okay. But they died, so they met. Now listen, that's ignorance. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. He said, the body rests, but the soul and spirit go immediately to be with the Lord. Well, so that's the problem concerning the rapture. They were afraid that those who died before Jesus' return would miss heaven. But then as Paul teaches them about the rapture, there are priorities contained in the rapture. He says two distinct things will happen. And, and again, Jesus does not come to the earth. He comes in the clouds. His feet do not touch the Mount of Olives at this time. He comes in the clouds. And, and notice, first of all, it says the dead. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice it says the Lord will come down from heaven, not to earth, but in the air. And he comes down in the air, in the clouds, and then there is a loud command and the voice of the archangel. Now, this is nothing new for Jesus because he's cried with a loud voice before. In fact, when he went to the cemetery where Lazarus was buried, he walked to the cemetery, he prayed, he wept. Isn't that something? I've wept a lot at cemeteries. I've wept over my loved ones. I've wept over church members. Cemetery can be a place of tears. And by the way, don't ever be ashamed of your tears when you, somebody you love dies. Because Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, who knew he was going to call Lazarus from the dead, went to the tomb and wept, and it said, and the Jews said, see how he loved him. When you weep over people's death, it's a, it's a symbol of your love for them. But then after Jesus wept, he said, roll the stone away from the grave. I always thought this, you know, if you can shout and get somebody to come back from the dead, you could roll the stone away. An old Bible teacher said, you know why Jesus had them roll the stone away? Jesus never does for us things we can do for ourselves. Now, some of y'all are in Celebrate Recovery. I want to tell you this. Jesus will help you. And there are some things you have to have Jesus help for. But there are some things you can do on your own. And Jesus will help you do that, but you've got to have the gumption to do it on your own. He said, roll that stone away. So some people, who it was, wrote the stone rolling crew, rolled the stone away. And then Jesus did this. He called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I like what the old black preacher said. He said, the reason he said Lazarus is if he hadn't said Lazarus, every dead person in that cemetery would have got up and come to it. I believe that. He said, Lazarus, just you right now. Not everybody else. Come, get out of there. I love it in the book of Revelation. Old John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Caesar said, I've gotten rid of old John. If I'd have killed him in Ephesus, those Christians would have arisen up and rebelled. But I've got old John 40 miles off the coast of Ephesus on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled there. He can't do anybody any harm over there. And I love it because the Bible says, old John was in the spirit on the Lord today. And he was having a spell. You say, how you know he was having a spell? Son, when you're in the spirit on the Lord today, you can't help but have a spell. And you say, well, I'm not having a spell. Well, it's the Lord's day. If you're not in the spirit, that's your fault. All right, I'll just tell you, if you're in the spirit on the Lord's day, you can have a spell. And old John was having a spell, and he heard somebody shout, come up here. That is the book of Revelation introduction to the rapture. And John was caught up into heaven and saw things that have not yet taken place because they happen after the rapture. So the word, the dead will rise first. And now listen to this. 
if we come when Jesus calls us on earth to follow him and be his disciple, we will come forth from the grave when he calls us on the day of the rapture. Now, that's important. Why? Because you need to listen to God. A disciple knows his master's voice. Why, why have I not been taken by Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who've come to my house and told me about their revelation of God? You know why? Because I have a master who teaches me and leads me, and he tells me to walk in truth, and he tells me his word is truth. You say, what about these Baptists that followed, and they became Mormons, and they became Jehovah's Witnesses? They may have been Baptists, but they weren't following Jesus. So are you judging? I'm not judging any person individually. I'm just saying this. Jesus said, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. If you wander off after somebody, and it may not be a Mormon, it may not be a Jehovah Witness, it may be somebody who says they're a Christian, but they say, oh, don't listen to that old preacher over at First Baptist. He's narrow-minded. He thinks you ought not have sex until you get married. He thinks it's wrong to have sex with the person of the same sex you are. You know why the preacher at First Baptist thinks that? Because that's what God's Word says. That's why he thinks that. And because God says, I'll bless those who follow my word. Listen, young people, I want you to have a great, as great a life as you possibly can. I want you to enjoy life to the full, but you won't do it by following the lies of the devil. You'll be taken captive and led astray. Listen to your master. So that's the promise to the dead. Those, don't feel sorry for dead folks. I'm serious. Don't feel sorry for... They've got a six-foot head start on us in the rapture. Plus, they're with the Lord right now. Man, what a blessing. With the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. One day, this old body, and it's had cancer twice, and it's had a, an aneurysm on the backside of the heart. You know, I don't think I can go another 64 years. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I might try it, but I just don't think I've, I've got another 64 left in me. But I don't have to worry about that because one of these days... When this old body either wears out or the rapture comes, I'll get a new body. And the Bible says that body won't ever grow old. I'll never be tired again. I'll never be tempted to sin again. I'll never be hungry or cold again. You say, preacher, have you been hungry? I've been on so many diets in my life. I could eat a Snickers as big as that church bus out there. You say, well, you've lost some weight. Yeah, I've lost weight. And inside here is a 500-pound fat man that just wanting to claw his way out. Get those Snickers. Get those Krispy Kremes. Man, when I saw the commercial about the new Krispy Kreme reopening in Tuscaloosa, I thought, bless God, I need to go down there and help them open that Krispy Kreme. I need to make sure they're not poisoning people in Tuscaloosa. But I didn't do it. I had to weigh in on Thursday. It was judgment day. I didn't do so well this week. <laughs> I'm going to do better next week, Lord. But then the delivered. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. Old Oliver Green used to say, I hope I cheat the undertaker. I hope he doesn't get his old hands. I'm sorry, Bob Murdoch. I'm sorry. 
Some of y'all, Bob, he's not another, he's a funeral director. He's a nice guy. He helps our folks. He's a good guy. But old, old, old Dr. Oliver Green said, I hope I get to cheat the undertaker. I hope he meant But he didn't. He didn't. He died and was buried. But guess what? God's promise is still faithful. Dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us who are alive, now, you might be in the rapture. You young people might, might be in the rapture. I might be in the rapture. I think some of you probably will be in the rapture. Because I believe the Lord is going to be coming. When I see the world getting worse and worse, you say, how do you know the world's getting worse? Just look. Read the newspaper. Hear all these people. I tell you what, what I see happening, I see us moving to a one-world government. Because there's going to be so much economic chaos and all, all economies are, go are going to be in chaos. And then here comes somebody who says, I have the solution. Yeah, he does. He's the man of sin. He's the Antichrist. He's probably alive and well today somewhere on planet Earth. So the rapture could take place at any time. Well, what's the promise concluded with the rapture? Notice this. What a sweet promise. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Notice it's a personal promise. It's for all of us. It's everyone in this building who loves the Lord Jesus. You're included in this promise. We, it's a personal promise. It's a providential promise. We will be with the Lord. Why? Because the Lord will do it. Now listen, let me tell you this. How did you get saved? You say, well, I walked down. No, you didn't walk down the aisle. God drew you to him. That's how you got saved. Nobody's ever saved unless God draws them. You heard the Holy Spirit drawing you. And your spirit surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And you repented of your sins. And you turned from your sins. And, and you realize there's no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. Oh, preacher, there you go. You're narrow again. Yeah, I'm narrow because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I'm narrow where Jesus is narrow and broad where Jesus is broad. And he is the only way to heaven. He's not just the best way. He's the only way. You don't go through Jesus. You don't get there. But I want to tell you, this is God's doing. We don't have, all we have to do is repent and believe and follow. But that's important for us to do that. And then notice it's a permanent promise. You'll be with the Lord forever. And a pleasant promise. Therefore, encourage each other. Now listen, I want to close on this. Some of y'all need encouragement today. I could call some of your names. I'm not going to. Because that wouldn't be right. And some of you say, preacher, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. And I probably don't. Some of you, I, some of you, I know what you're going through. I know what's happened in the last few weeks. I, I, I know where you've walked. I, I, I know your heart's been broken. I, I, I know you've just been, been in a terrible valley. I know that. But I want to tell you this. There's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. And it doesn't have to be in the rapture. I love the last verse of the 23rd Psalm. Remember what it says? It says this. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you. Oh, here's what I want you to do. You're in that valley right now. You're in that valley. Oh, I love you. God loves you. You're in that valley. I want you to turn around. I want you to look behind you. And in that valley, there's two things following you. On one side, it's goodness. And then on the other side, it's mercy. And some of you may say, oh, preacher, they're there, but they're so far back, I, I have a hard time seeing them. Well, don't worry about that. They're behind you. 
The Bible says they're following you. They're not leading you, they're following you. Be encouraged, goodness and mercy are going to follow you all. God's already paid the price for your eternal salvation. You're on your way to heaven. There are a lot of people in this world that can't say that, but you can today. Goodness and mercy, follow me all the days of my life. And then what's that last promise? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when you go to God's house, you never leave. Whether you call it heaven, Abraham's bosom, paradise, with Jesus, you'll be there forever. Now, let me say this. That's only to those who are following Jesus. He doesn't say you won't have problems. He doesn't say you won't be heartbroken. He doesn't say you won't shed tears. But he says we'll spend forever with him. Look back. Goodness and mercy follow you. Look ahead. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. Absolute worst thing. I'm going to predict the future at our fall family festival this year. Got the idea from David Platt. You say, why are you stealing an idea from David Platt? It was a good idea. I steal from the very best. He said, they did this in New Orleans. I never thought of it in New Orleans. I was too busy trying to learn Greek and Hebrew to think something like this. He said, they went down to the French Quarter, set up a card table, put candles on it for ambiance, and put a sign up, we predict your future is free and it's guaranteed. People sit down and you say, well, you ever done anything wrong in your life? Yeah. You ever told a lie? Yeah. You ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Yeah. You ever coveted something somebody else had? Yeah. I got bad news for you. Your future's awful bleak. But, but, I know somebody that can turn it into a bright future. And look, if you're following Jesus, your future is glorious. It's absolutely fantabulous. You say, that's not even a word. I know. But every word that was ever uttered was made up by somebody. And I've got just as much right to make up a word. And I want to tell you, that's the only word I can think about for heaven. Fantabulous. You say, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's great. I can't wait to get there. And that's what awaits all those who love Jesus. Now, here's the question. Are you following him? And number two, are you following him closely? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word cannot lie, and your word brings comfort. And Father, how wonderful it is to know that you paid the price for our sins. You've redeemed us with the blood of your own Son. You filled us with your Spirit. You have a wonderful life here on earth for us. Even though we go through valleys, goodness and mercy follow us, and one day we'll spend eternity in your house. What a blessing and what a promise. Father, I pray today if there are those here today who need to trust Christ, they'll come when the invitation is given. I pray for those who have followed Jesus, but they've never followed him into the baptistry. They've never been baptized as a sign that they've turned from death unto life and that their sins have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray there'd be those who'd come today say, and say, I need to follow Jesus in baptism. He walked to John the Baptist to be baptized, and I'm willing to walk this aisle and say to this congregation, I need to be baptized. Father, there are others today. They're discouraged and they're down. Lord, I pray that they'd look behind them right now spiritually 
and they'd see goodness and mercy following them. Fathers, all of us who love Jesus, look ahead. We see dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for that promise. May it be an encouragement to us, and may we encourage others in Jesus' name today. Amen.